Thank you for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Our mission is to bring you information you can trust about important issues of our time. Today, we're bringing you another in our series, Confessions of the Psychedelic Elders. In this series, prominent people in the sciences and arts are going to reveal to you, our listeners, and the world details of their courageous sub rosa self-experimentation with psychedelics over the past decades. My purpose in creating this series is to counter the decades of disinformation about psychedelics and inform the world that prominent good citizens, contributory citizens, patriots, solid fathers and mothers have risked their careers and their very livelihoods in order to learn from psychedelics and advance science. Our guest today is Dr. Martin Goodman. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Marty. Thank you, Richard. How are you? Reasonably well, all things considered. Okay. Well, you know what this program is about. You heard my introduction, so we're going to get right to it. Can you remember your very first experience with a psychedelic substance? In large part, yes. Can you can you tell us something about it? Give us some context. How old were you? Where were you? What were the circumstances? I was around 18 or 19 years old. I was, I'm pretty sure at the time, a sophomore at Harvard College. The trip was, was mentored by a friend of mine. I had heard him and other friends talk of their experiences with LSD and had gotten increasingly intrigued and finally approached him and said, could, could you get me some? Could you help me with this? And he did. Um, it took place in mostly in a Harvard suite. I think it was, a, yes, it was in Claverly Hall at the time. And as I, I don't recall a lot of details of that specific particular experience, but I recall that we listened to The Grateful Dead. And do you recall anything of your takeaway from the experience or how you felt afterwards? Like, oh, that was interesting. I think I'll do it again. Or, oh my gosh, I never want to go near that again. Or what was that? Any any kind of, uh, you know, retrospective commentary? It was a very intriguing experience. It was positive. It was pleasant. And absolutely, my takeaway thoughts were, gee, I want to try this again. As best you can recall, when did you try it again? I can't give precise numbers, but what I, what I certainly know is that over the next year and two and three, I was using the drug maybe, oh, some, somewhere between four and eight times a year on average. Um, in almost, in all cases, um, planning ahead for the experience of treating it as a special thing and, and rapidly establishing one or another sort of ritual for um, having the experience. So at the time, a sophomore at Harvard, you were in your late teens. How old are you now, Marty? 
I'll be 71 soon enough. Okay. So we're talking about roughly 50 plus years ago, and that puts us at approximately uh, 1970. So you knew enough back then and approximately, well, you know, what year did you start Harvard? Uh, 1967, fall. Okay. So this, this, must, this must have taken place in 19, your uh, initial uh, experience was in 1968 or 69 when you were a sophomore. And then you went on for three more years of experimentation so uh, th- th- uh, during that late 60s, early 70s period. But you knew enough, even in the first exper- experiment, to have a guide. And you're saying now you prepared for the other experiences, somewhere between four and eight times a year. Uh, did you always have a guide? What were the circumstances? What kind of we didn't know that much about set and setting. We knew a little from Leary and Alpert at Harvard, where you were. Um, What kind of preparations did you make, as you best recall? I was extremely fortunate. I guess the fates were kind to me, is the way to say this, in that, as you quite rightly say, both the most knowledgeable about psychedelic drugs did not know as much as we do now about set and setting and how to ensure a good experience and all that. I was fortunate in that I stumbled into doing, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, the right things to um, in, ensure a good and even productive experience. Um, in specific answer to your questions, I don't think I ever, in all of the times I've used LSD, which might over 50 years total close to 100, but that's not very many over that long period of time. In any case, I don't think in all that time I ever used the drug alone. Um, so in, in reference to your question about a guide, I had either a guide or at least a companion on the experiences. Being at Harvard, you'll have to have known about Leary and Alper's work there. Uh, were, were you influenced by that in some way? With great embarrassment, I must confess to you that I knew very little at the time about Leary and Alpert and learned more of them as I became more acquainted with the drug and and became motivated to learn more about things related to that. (laughs) I made the assumption that when Leary and Alpert were fired from Harvard, it was a historical event that all the students were aware of it. Is that the case? Were you all very aware of their firing or was it uh, a sub rosa issue? Again, with great embarrassment, because I'm someone who all my life has been politically and socially active in all sorts of ways. And have considered myself you know, a very aware person of stuff going on of all sorts, I have to, again, with embarrassment, say, at least recollecting back, unless there's some gap in my memory here, I knew of Leary and Alpert, but I, I, I have to be honest with you, I don't recall that as being a, an overriding or big issue in my understanding of the reality of either Harvard or psychedelia or what have you. I would agree with you that it should have been, but I don't really recall (laughs) it as such. Okay, fair enough. So during this period of two to three years of experimentation, four to eight times a year, do you have recollections of some of what you learned, some of what you saw, some of what you experienced that 
kept you going? What can you share with us about early years? Many people, a lot of folks who have had psychedelic experiences from the, from the get-go looked at them as spiritual experiences, spiritual learning experiences, what have you. For what is worth, for many years, arguably decades even, um, I resisted using the word spiritual to describe the experience um, and insisted on using the adjective recreational in describing it. However, when asked, okay, what do you like about this recreation? What I would say is I especially am, have been moved by and seek those moments when ego dissolves, when one becomes one with the sand, the rocks, the sky, the very web of the universe, and, and, and to the extent one has consciousness, sees oneself as, as a thread in a giant tapestry. And of course, sooner or later, folks responded to that to me by saying, uh, well, ain't that a spiritual experience? <laughs> mm -hmm. were, you, were you brought up with religion? I was brought up very strongly culturally Jewish in Brooklyn, New York in the early 50s. However, uh, my parents raised me as an atheist. Have you maintained that uh, philosophical position? Yes, that has not changed throughout my life. Did LSD and your LSD experiences in some way impact or have any kind of influence on your atheism? Not really, in the sense that I don't see atheism as in conflict with a broader understanding of, of what it is to be human or one's place in the universe or one's connection with other humans or other life. I don't see that having an, a so-called atheist perspective in any way limits or denies such very profound connections. So in that sense, I, I never felt my atheism challenged per se. During these initial years of your self-experimentation uh, with uh, LSD, uh, do you know what doses you were taking? I sure wish I did, but at no time did I ever take a preparation of the drug where I had any solid information on how many micrograms I was ingesting. Based on what you know and learn later on in your life, would you hazard a guess as to the size of the dose? I can say that on occasions I used doses that were as much as three or four times what seemed to be the minimum dose to have a respectable, full-on, for real, with all components of same trip. So actually, I, I, I could ask your, your judgment of this. Would this mean, what, 400 micrograms, 300, 500? Something in that range, I would guess, but I really don't know enough to be sure. Well, in order to have what you might consider to be a, a full LSD experience, I would say the minimum would be 250 micrograms. So if you think you were doing if you think you were doing quite a bit more than that, you might have been doing four, five hundred, six hundred micrograms at certain times. Um, the big the big difference is until you get into a very large dose, you go through trans transitions. 
And you described the transition earlier in the interview when you talked about merging with everything around you. And that's a classic uh, psychedelic experience. And you need about 250 to have that kind of experience. And in order to you know, look at oneself, inspect one's ego, uh, get into you know, the, the light spaces and the dark spaces, and do a kind of self-analysis, you want at least 250. But if you jump directly to bigger doses, like five, 600, you'll skip the ego stuff and go to directly into cosmic hyperspace. So you 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 won't have a you you won't have a body. You'll ha you'll be a spirit immediately. Uh, I don't recommend that particular uh, tactic, by the way. Um, no. So during these years, again, still uh, the first four years of your experimentation, did you have people? that you could talk to and share your experiences with? I was very fortunate. I lived in, a, in a, a world, a subculture, an environment in which there were very few taboos in discussing what many viewed as forbidden subjects, whether it was sex or drugs or what have you. I was extremely fortunate, uh, both in terms of my family and in terms of my friends. So we frequently spoke and discussed uh, at some detail uh, aspects of the experiences with LSD. I, I take it that's what you're asking. Yes. And I'm asking that in particular reference because some of the people I've interviewed went decades of experimenting and had absolutely no one in the world to talk to about it because of the nature of the environment in which they lived. So you were indeed quite fortunate. Would you say that a high percentage of the time during these early years when you took LSD, you were uh, indoors with the, with the person that was uh, with you? My first several trips were entirely indoors, often at night, usually in the confines of a single very familiar suite or room, like my suite at Harvard, or that of a very close friend, uh, a very, very enclosed, controlled space. Um, later on, I would be using the drug on the streets of, of Cambridge, uh, walking through uh, garden areas as well, or meadows, and so basically experiencing it outdoors. A major change occurred, however, about a year, give or take, into my first experiences with it, when a person I was involved with introduced me to backpacking and mountaineering, and at the same time introduced me to using the drug while in a wilderness or wilderness-like environment. I was so moved and impressed by experiencing that effect in that environment that for many, many years afterwards, I, as a rule for myself, it wasn't necessarily what anyone else should do or must do, but it worked really well for me. As a rule for myself, I would only use LSD out more, more or less, or in fact, entirely in the wild, sometimes on week-long backpacking trips, four days into the wilderness, that sort of thing. And were you alone or were you with at least one other person? In all cases, I was with one other person 
who also was using the drug with me and equally important, a person who was a good friend who I liked and above all, who I trusted. Do you have memories? Anything that stands out that sort of jumps out at you uh, for those experiences? Quite a number, actually. <laughs> um, and all of them, uh, at worst, intriguing, but certainly mostly really delightful. Would you, would you like to hear some? I would. Earlier on, I recall going to the beach with a friend of mine, and we buried ourselves in the sand a little ways from the water, and we're lying there, uh, becoming more and more merged with the sand and the, the beach and the universe and what have you, when we had this feeling that the sand was caressing us was massaging us. And at first, we both sort of assumed this was some sort of a pleasant, tactile hallucination. Then it became apparent that we were actually buried in a, in a mix of sand and tiny little dime-sized sand crabs that were um, constantly scurrying and moving and rubbing up against us. Once we established that this was a reality, that we were actually in a slurry of sand and sand crabs, our reaction to that was extremely positive. It was, oh my, we're, we're, we're in conjunction with, with, with other life. How wonderful. That would be sort of a minor, a minor experience, but it gives an example of how one, on experiencing something during a trip, can decide how one wants to accept it and bring it into one's world. Is that a metaphor for, is that a metaphor for normal life? Sure is. <laughs> Um, other times, I, many of the experiences were generic, as it, you've, you've spoken and I've spoken of that experience of melting, and in this case, melting in the wilderness. Um, I found that enhanced by the fact that where I was for many of these experiences, nowhere I looked did I see anything made by people. It was all things that had existed for a long time, things that had naturally grown or evolved. And that made for a, um, a sense of comfort for me. Um, many a time I recall lying on a patch of sand by a beautiful pool, by a waterfall in a remote desert canyon in Baja. And as you described, floating or being propelled into the cosmos and feeling increasingly parts of that animate and inanimate, beautiful world. After uh, college and this experimentation during college, did you go directly to medical school? Yes, I did. And did you continue to experiment with LSD while you were in medical school? Yes, I did. Um, again, confining this to well-planned and advanced experiences, and at least during the time in medical school, always um, out, outdoors and in, in, in relatively, relatively wild natural environments. And did you have classmates, other medical students that you could share and talk to about these experiences? Not only did I have people I could share this with, at times I had to be selective in who I would share the limited amounts of LSD I had because there was, were such a fair number of folks who wanted some. <laughs> A large fraction, arguably a majority, of those who I related to um, 
used and enjoyed LSD. The few who did not within my circle were intrigued by it, positive about it, comfortable talking about it. I'm not sure, however, I could say that the majority of my class felt the same way. Gradually over time, over years, decades even, I guess, I gradually felt less and less inclined to use the drug, not out of any ill feeling toward it. Quite the contrary, I continue to this day to feel very, very positive about it, not out of any fear of something bad happening or anything of the kind, but I just felt less often uh, impelled and interested in using it. And it just very gradually, over many years, to the point where eventually I stopped using it. I don't believe I've used any in maybe 20, 25 years at this point, although during that period I may have experimented with one or another other psychedelic drug. Uh, And what were those, please? Um, One was ecstasy and the other was psilocybin. Okay, and what can you share with us about your psilocybin experience? Well, the simple answer would be that I felt the experience, I had only one such to compare to many, many LSD experiences, so the comparison is less than a rigorous one, uh, to be fair to psilocybin. And also, on that one experience, while it started as a very positive experience for me and one other friend with me, there was a third friend who was with us, a mutual friend, who in the middle of the psilocybin experience had what at least had the appearance of, it wasn't, but it certainly had the appearance of a psychotic break and a a really, really, really bad crazy sort of experience. And the two of us, while peaking on our psilocybin, both of us medical professionals, myself a doctor and my friend, my other friend a nurse, had to maintain and devote as as much of our attention and ability as we could to our friend who was who was having trouble. Um, so that might somewhat color our ability to appreciate the beauties of the drug psilocybin. Um, this experience had some lessons to it. Um, if you have a moment, I'd I'd like to, I'd like to continue because there are things that can be learned from this and a similar experience. Please continue. Okay? Please continue in detail. Well, first, a, a background for this. I mentioned that almost all of my experiences with LSD varied from positive to very positive to very very positive. But out of 100 experiences, there were one or two exceptions. And there was one time I had, at least for half of the experience, what you'd have to call a bad trip. Um, I, I kind of had it coming. It was Thanksgiving. I had had a fight. I was at college. I had had a fight with my parents. I wasn't coming home for Thanksgiving. All my friends did go home for Thanksgiving. Um, idiotically, I dropped some acid and then went to a party where just about everybody at the party were people unknown to me who were having conflicts and problems with each other. So there I was sitting in a chair that evening and tripping, getting more and more high on the drug. And I saw this black dot on the floor and the black dot began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it looked like it was going to engulf me. And I knew 
I mean, I knew that that black dot was the well of permanent schizophrenic insanity and that I was about to fall into it. I would become schizophrenic. I would be insane the rest of my life and I would be institutionalized. And that was it, which was a pretty terrifying thought. At that point, as the black dot got big enough just about to engulf me, somebody at the other end of the room who didn't know me happened to glance in my direction and notice I was looking a bit peaked. He walked over to me, picked me up in his arms, carried me to a couch, put me down on the couch, slapped a set of headphones on me, and put on the choral portion of Beethoven's Ninth. When that portion was over, I was at peace, and the, the ill feelings were gone, and I was able to ride down the rest of the trip and, and actually, in many respects, enjoy it. Fast forward some years now to the psilocybin experience. Um, we were walking in the woods in Brioni's Park, actually, in the Bay Area, and three of us, myself and, and two women friends of mine, uh, the two women were nurses, I was, I was a physician at the time, and um, we noticed our friend was acting more and more strange, and her responses were more and more irrational and worried-looking. And eventually the two of us judged that she was having a really bad time. And we reasoned from what we knew of psychedelic experiences that one of the ways you try to help someone who's having a hard time is attempt to return them to familiar, comforting surroundings. And in this case, the closest thing to that we had was my room where these two people had been, had been staying with me and visiting. So I perhaps ill-advisedly, we got back into, we got her back into the car with us. We we're driving down a twisted road. And at one point I recall her saying, this is nice. I think I'll get out here and open the door and try to jump out of the car as we were going around a turn. Um, my other friend who's sitting in the back let out a banshee yell, wrapped both arms around this, this poor person. And we closed the door. We managed to get her home. We got to my place and this person was acting still incredibly erratically, irrationally. And, and at this point, a, a fair amount of time had passed, and myself and my other friend were now coming down from the psilocybin experience, yet this person seemed to be just completely on another planet. And we're getting very worried that maybe some long-lasting effect had occurred to her, even though our understanding of such drugs was that they didn't cause that. Uh, but we were worried watching her. Then finally, I had an idea, thinking of my experience. I walked up to the, the woman who was having a bad time, my friend, and out of the clear blue said to her, did you ever see the movie Soylent Green? And it was such a non sequitur that she responded quite rationally, um, no, I didn't. And I said, good, because the reason I asked that is that I had wanted to play for her. I didn't have Beethoven's Ninth, but I had Beethoven's Sixth the Pastoral Symphony. And I just wanted to make sure it didn't do any harm, so I asked her if she had seen Soylent Green, because in Soylent Green, that's played in the background at a suicide parlor. So that would be a bad association if she had that. She didn't have it, put headphones on her. We played the entirety of Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. She lay still, absorbing the music. We took the headphones off her, and she was perfectly fine. Uh, I can't guarantee that that will cure every every dysphoric psychedelic experience, but it does make for an interesting story.
Yes, yes, you created focus and the focus was stabilizing. And that's something that a guide might do. And you did it because you learned it from your other experience. So hats off to you. Um, tell us about your experience with uh, MDMA known on the street as ecstasy. That one experience that I had, number one, involved one of the same people who was with me on the psilocybin experience I mentioned, who has been a friend of mine for 50 years, a very dear friend, and, and a devotee of Wilbur Hot Springs. And in fact, the experience occurred in the tub area at Wilbur Hot Springs. <laughs> um, we, again, we had been friends for very, very important, very close friends for 20, 30 years at that point. Um, we were not lovers at the time. She was married to another person. I was involved with other people, but she remained one of the two or three most important people in my life and, and remains so to this day. In fact, I think she's coming over in a couple of days. Um, in any case, she had obtained some of this and suggested we use it on a trip to Wilbur. And so we were driving up to Wilbur from the Bay Area, uh, about 30 minutes outside of Wilbur. We both uh, took the drug and we checked in. We arrived at Wilbur, checked in, got off our clothes and sat in the uh, tub area. I believe this was at a time when very quiet talking was still allowed in the tub area. This was quite a while ago. And... We sat there looking at each other and looking at each other again for another, I don't know, at a guess, another 30 minutes or whatever. And we're saying, gee, you getting anything? No, I'm not getting you know, the, the, the old, the old conversation about drug drugs coming on. You getting anything? No, I don't, I don't feel anything. Are you feeling anything? No. I'm not. And, you know, we felt pretty confident that we might know what to expect because we were both experienced LSD users and we felt, well, you know, we know about mind altering drugs. So if anything's coming on, we should know about it. And we were sitting there and sitting there in the tub and, 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 and going back and forth on how, gee, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, we were sold stuff that wasn't any good or whatever. And then all of a sudden, almost simultaneously, both our jaws dropped and we were overwhelmed with a sense of connection with each other, a sense of how wonderful our friendship was, just totally bowled over by it, overwhelmed. And we suddenly realized that we were under the influence of an extremely powerful mind-altering substance and a beautiful and a lovely one, but quite different from the sort of substances we had been accustomed to. Now, did you go on to use that particular medicine again or not? You know, if I had easy access to that, I likely would have pursued at least some more experimentation with it. But at the time, my circumstances were such of greater distance from the greater distance from the greater community of folks who who used and supplied such, and I never did lay hands on it again. Have you had the experience of what's being referred to as? Microdosing with uh, with a uh, psychedelic? I don't believe so. Not in what I not in what I understand. My limited understanding of the current meaning of the term microdose. I have on occasion wanted to take a trip and took took one hit 
and found that it just didn't go far enough. But my understanding is microdoses is something where, in general, you walk around and don't feel like you're on a major drug experience. Uh, even more so, uh, Marty, and with a with a correct microdose, you don't feel like you're on anything whatsoever. Right. If you notice something, that means you went beyond the microdose threshold. So that's where that's Absolutely. at. But that's that's not something you got involved with. And getting back to your uh, to your personal experiences, um, have you always had the wisdom to avoid being in a uh, a vehicle? during your LSD experiences, or have you actually driven a vehicle? Out of about 100 LSD experiences, I drove a vehicle once while two-thirds coming down from a trip, which is ill-advised, and I don't recommend anyone do it, but I did it, and there was no harm on that occasion. In fact, it's very ill-advised. Very Um, ill-advised, agreed. But you made um, it. I, I did one thing even worse than that. Since you used the word confessions, um, most of what I was saying, I wouldn't call a confession, just a sharing of experience. But this is a confession in the full meaning of the word confession. And that was the occasion with the psilocybin, where we made the decision, rightly or wrongly, it may in retrospect not have been a wise decision, but remember that when you're powerfully under the influence of a drug, sometimes your judgment is altered as well. Um we, I, I and the, the woman I was with who was having a good time with the drug made the decision that the best way to take care of our friend who was having a bad time was to take her back to my apartment. And that entailed driving. Um, a very da- potentially dangerous decision. We talked about it, actually, and decided, yeah, we're taking a risk, but we feel this stands a greater chance of, of, of helping our friend out. We're willing to take this risk. Sitting here now, 30 years later, completely sober, looking at, at what we did, I'm not sure it was this a, a wise or a healthy decision. We did manage to luck out and pull it off. Nowadays, you'd be able to call Uber. Um, <laughs> uh, Marty, what, what, if anything, can you tell us about uh, sexual activity under the influence of LSD? As a generalization, at least my experience of the drug was that it was so powerful in how it gripped my body, at least, and the way I felt, that most of the time, not all, but most of the time, I tended to either lack inclination to have sexual activity, as you put it, um, or to the extent I wanted to welcome erotic interaction, it would not involve such things as, say, penile vaginal intercourse. Um, That would be a generalization for a large fraction, certainly the majority of of my LSD experiences, but it did not apply to all. There were a few experiences, and one in particular, which included a full range of physical and sexual interaction, um, and, and were very wonderful and beautiful experiences. So I suspect how in part, the drug can be a distraction, but in part, it can focus and, and connect people as well. I think 
different people's experiences will vary quite a bit in that regard. How successful have you been in bringing your LSD experiences into daily life so that things that you see, feel, taste, smell, and touch under the influence, you're now able, they're enhanced or they've changed uh, during daily life? I can probably respond only fairly generally. Certainly, having been out there to the places that LSD can take one provided me with perhaps a somewhat enhanced sense of humility in the face of the universe and a sense of belonging in the face of the universe. Those are generalities, though. Um, I'm hard-pressed to say specific things in my life that changed as a result of my experiences with LSD. Um, things that, ways in which I was affected, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you might have to call somewhat intellectualized, I guess, in that it was just one more bit of evidence that often the views of society regarding something, a society that in large part looked very negatively at drug experience in, in general and psychedelic drug experience in particular, was misguided in many respects in, in this fashion. It also, well, there were also some things I noticed when I was encountering superiors of mine in medical training, how many of them, this is back in the 70s, um, not all of them, but how many of them had very fixed and very negative ideas about this experience that I realized were based on myth and not, and not scientific or medical or experiential reality. Would you say that the sum total of your psychedelic experience have changed, has changed you as a person? I'm hesitant to answer that. Um, psychedelic experiences are extraordinary. For the most part, in my experience, they've been positive and educational. At the same time, I've always been someone who lived at the edges of things and looked critically about a world around me that that many others were quick to accept. One of the one of the things that LSD helps one with is getting a broader view of the world. I walked into it with with a kind of a broader view to begin with. LSD reaffirmed for me, somewhat expanded for me that view, but. I, I walked into into my experiences with it already having that orientation. I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. What are some of the areas that you see for the future of psychedelics? Particularly, uh, do you see a, a future of, in psychedelics for healing, for creativity, for focus at work? Do you see a, what kind of things you think might come down the pike as we now begin to get some real research done on psychedelics? Well, certainly to go to the low-hanging fruit here, um, one would have to be very foolish to say other than LSD can affect creativity or at least the kind of things one's, one creates. There's so much in the world of the arts that has been influenced by the psychedelic drug experiences of the artists, I, I hardly need to start enumerating those. Um, 
But taking a step a little further from that, um, there's been an upsurge, as you of all people know particularly well, in interest of in utilizing these drugs uh, in help with psychologic and medical therapy. I have always felt cautious about that because in many years past, not in this period, but in year, many years past, I've seen individuals get a little too thrilled with how wonderful their drug experience was so that they exposed patients to it in ways that weren't wise and, and harm resulted. However, having said that, part of that was that what little experimentation was done in that regard often was done ad hoc because the law and society didn't allow more careful and proper investigation of what potential these drugs have. My understanding is that now a window is opening where more, more careful, more responsible, and better examination of what these drugs offer is becoming possible. My understanding is you're very closely involved with, with many of those who, who are right now working on this. It would not surprise me if some very positive things come out of this. I, I, I just, I have to, I have to say I'm, I'm ignorant of many of the facts as we know them now, and I suspect more information will be coming out later. You sent me uh, quite a bit of information prior to this uh, interview uh, about experiences in your life, and I thank you for that. And we're coming to the end of our interview, and I want to make certain that if there are any uh, interesting stories, musings, something you'd like to share that's going to be heard by our listeners and is going to be published in our book, Confessions of the Psychedelic Elders. Now's the time, Marty, to uh, share it with us, please. I would say it's a personal decision whether one wants to include in one's life drugs, psychedelic or otherwise, based experiences or not. It's the old line from the Country Joe and the Fish song about LSD, only if you want to. Um I'd say that if one is intrigued and follows, at least initially, some of what you wisely refer to as the guidelines for ensuring a good experience, and these are outlined in many places, and I've referred to some of them, um, there are things to be gained from psychedelic drugs in terms of the places that can take one and just indeed the, the, the simple extraordinary pleasure of the experience in some cases. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage folks to, to be mature, to be cautious, to have, to have, as you put it, a guide with one on, on one's early experiences. I discourage folks from going into large crowds and such like, uh, stick to places you know, and as I said, with a person you know. But I, I think for some, psychedelic drugs can be a remarkable, a, one, a wonderful, and even for some, an, an educating part of their life. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Dr. Martin Goodman. I so much appreciate your being here with us today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. 
And thank you all for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health and Politics with special thanks to our producer, Charlie Deist, and our sound engineer, David Springer, who together make this broadcast possible. Please join me again next Tuesday at nine o'clock Pacific Standard Time for our next stimulating broadcast of Mind, Body, Health and Politics. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and it is essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs>